Oh, Father in heaven, you are a good God. And even in the midst of bumps in the road and accidents and traffic and and little ones who don't want to get their shoes on and just anything that may have delayed us in getting out the door this morning, we praise you that you brought us all here to this, this room in this time so that we can be together to learn about you. Lord, I pray that um, even as we are discussing what we read in the second half of chapter 4 today, that you would make yourself known, in, in maybe in a way that we hadn't considered before, or that we would understand a little bit better about how what you have placed into your word was not a reaction to circumstances, but that it was the plan all along. May we trust you and trust in that plan, and may we give glory to your name today. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. All right. So, um, in addition to traffic this morning, I have to tell you, uh, it's just been a week. My son, uh, who many of you know, is 16 years old, and he is on the autism spectrum. So, you know, he doesn't communicate very well. Has had a bloody toenail for two and a half months and didn't tell us. Um, came and told me earlier last week, showed it to me, and it was not just bloody, but it was pussy and gross. And um, so we thought maybe we could take care of it ourselves. No, we couldn't. It's infected. So Monday, we took him to the doctor. They put him on antibiotics. Tuesday, they got him into podiatry, and they took off half of his toenail. Um, so life has not been what I expected it to be when I traded with Mary to teach this week instead of two weeks ago when I was prepping to speak at a retreat. So um, thanks for trading. I'm hoping it's working out better for you than it did for me. <laughs> but but I, as I was going through and looking at the things that we were going to be talking about this week, I thought it was actually pretty appropriate because what we're actually going to dive into this week is that um, God is sovereign. We heard that on Sunday when we talked about Esther. But God is also king, and he rules his kingdom through a king. And we are called to be subject to that king. And I'm not in control of what happens in my life. He is, and he knows what he's doing. I have to trust that. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to start by going back. Can you guys, that didn't change, did it? It's the wrong thing on the screen. Give me just a second. Figure out why that's up there like that. This is supposed to be here. Oh, goodness. All right. I'm going to figure it out. You guys just take a second. Talk to each other. Technical difficulties. (laughs) All right. There we go. Now can you see it? So if, if, if all else fails, at least it'll look nice, right? Um, so we have been walking through this chart. All right, back up here. One, two, three eyes on me. There we go. All right. We've been, looking, we've been working our way through this chart this year, right? So um, we've been considering the pattern of God's people in God's place under God's rule. And we have looked at the pattern where, uh, in the beginning with creation, we had Adam and Eve in the garden with God's word and perfect relationships as the rule. And then we moved forward 
to the fall where Adam and Eve rebelled and we were in a place where there was no one as God's people. There was no land because they had been kicked out of the garden. And then there was no rule and blessing because there was disobedience and curse. So, and now it's jumping forward ahead of me. Uh, Then, let's just pause that for a sec. Did that? Okay, we lost it. So I'm just going to look at this and I'll tell you guys what's on here. It'll be really cool. Um, (laughs) It's just going to be one of those days. I'm so glad that this is an expositional and we can just have a conversation and it's going to be fantastic, right? (laughs) All right, so then we moved into um, the promised kingdom. Or no, the perished kingdom. We did that one. The promised kingdom then was where uh, we had the promise given to Abraham that he would have descendants. He would have uh, more than what the stars in the sky and the sands and the sea. Um, they, he was promised the land of Canaan. And then uh, he was promised that through him and through his descendants, there would be blessing to the nations um, and to his own people as well. And then last week, I think Adrian did a really great job of taking us through the first half of the chapter four, where we talked about um, the partial fulfillment of that promise to Abraham, where we had um, God's people, the Israelites, and um, they had the law that they had been given through Moses. And then they, we also talked a little bit, touched on how they were moving into the land. Um, today, we are moving into that section of the chapter where we did talk about the land in our homework. Um, I'm actually not going to talk a whole lot about the land because I want us to focus in on the other fulfillment of that, which is the um, giving of the king. Um, That promise that was given was actually implied all the way back from the very beginning. Roberts told us that that there would be that serpent crusher. And then he, um, let's make sure I stay on my notes in the right place. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. So um, we're going to pull back a little bit, and we're going to see that all these sections that we've been walking through are not disconnected sections of a story, but they're actually part of one whole story, which is the whole point of this um, term, right? So we're actually going to, um, on the other side of your paper that has that lovely chart, there's another thing that we haven't even talked about, and that this is a story, and there are elements to every story, the way that God has created us to understand story, and maybe you're not familiar with plot diagrams. But that's what that is, is a plot diagram. Um, Those elements to every story in the history of of all of creation, there is a setting. There are characters. There's conflict. There's a climax. There's a resolution and a new setting. And that just kind of is what follows on that diagram that you have there. So um, today, we're going to focus on the story just up to the point where we are. So if if I could put it up there, I would show you where to write things in, if you, but we can figure it out together, right? So the setting, which is that first little section there um, that has the line. Some, I can tell even from up here that some of you have been filling that in, so good job. Um, so we had that first setting of Eden, right? And the character, it was perfect as it should be. Our characters at the beginning were um, specifically Adam and Eve. But if we want to make it more general, we have God's people, right? So the people... Oh, yeah, so if you want to, on page 86, he's got it filled in, and, and, and you can fill it in as you go. The full thing, yeah, yeah Lauren's going to jump you all the way to the end where the complete chart is filled out, but we're not going to go all the way to the end yet. <laughs> I know, we want to have it complete, but we're not filling in the whole story today, so we're only going to go so far. So it was page 86, Chris? Okay, thank you. 
Um, originally, it was Adam and Eve, and but it's God's people. Uh, and then we also have God and Satan there in the garden. And then what's the conflict that happens in the garden? The fall. Um, can you like define that a little bit for me? What do you mean by the fall? So in perfect place, in perfect community with God, act of disobedience, then separated them from community with him. Did I summarize that correctly? Okay, good. Um, Yes, it was their rebellion and rejection of God's authority. And then they also have a need. They have a need for reconciliation to be brought back into community with him. So from the promise in Genesis 3 to where we are this week, we are looking for that that promised serpent crusher. Who is this great conqueror going to be? Um, And then on page 80, Robert says that we're going to spend the rest of of the Old Testament looking for the serpent crusher. Um, And on 81, he says, before the Israelites entered the land, God planned that they should be governed by a king. This king was not to be an authority separate from God, but would rule under God, submitting to him and his law. So the promise of a king is really a subset of the promise of God's rule and blessing. God rules his kingdom by means of a king. So at the, at the point in Scripture where we are, we've come to the end of Moses' life. Joshua is taking over command. Um, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I, up until like only maybe a few years ago, always thought that the, the giving of a king to Israel was a reaction to the request, not God's original plan. And so I always thought of it as reactionary. But God's not reactionary. He doesn't wait for us to do things and then decide what he's going to do. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting thing to, to kind of consider. Uh, when they moved into the land under Joshua, then we have the book of Judges. Uh, God's people are rebelling against God's rule, and they disregard the warnings of, Josh, of Joshua and Moses. And they enter into a period of time where um, things are not looking so great. What is the repeated refrain in the book of Judges that we hear over and over again? That's a lot of voices. (laughs) Uh, One person, say it again. Yes, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then how does the book end? There's another phrase in there at the the end of the book of Judges. There was no king, right? And so then we enter into the book of 1 Samuel, and and we have Samuel, who's the greatest of all the judges, the very last one of them. And what is it that people come to Samuel and say that they want? A king, that's the key too, isn't it, right? They wanted a king like the nations. They didn't want a king who would rule them under God's authority. They wanted a king who would rule them like everyone else ruled them. And they wanted to, so it wasn't, the problem wasn't that they asked for a king. It was that their motivation for asking for the king was not right. And I think that's where I always got tripped up on that. So then uh, God gave them Saul. Was Saul a good king? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Why, why don't you think Saul is a good king? I, I could tell you why I don't think he's a good king. I want to know why you think. Why isn't Saul a good king for Israel? He wasn't obedient to God? Yeah. He certainly didn't care about whether or not he was leading them according to God's rule. And he even went so far as to expressly disobey God's commands. Um, so then what happens to Israel, bec- uh, or what happens after Saul's disobedience? 
Yes, uh, the Lord anointed David instead of Saul. There was a struggle between them about uh, who was going to be on the throne. And, and David could have just asserted his right, right? He could have just forced his way into the throne, but he was uh, honoring God's original anointing of Saul by waiting for the time when the Lord would make the way available for him to be on the throne. Um, so we move into 2 Samuel when David finally takes the throne after Saul has died. Um, was David a good king? It was a little bit of a trick question, though, isn't it? <laughs> he, that's, yeah, Lauren says he was a sinner, but he was a good king. I think, um, it, I think that's kind of right. He was a man who was after God's own heart, and, but he was human and sinful. He lusted and he murdered. But for most of his life, he was repentant and faithful. And so the Lord blessed Israel through him and then blessed him as well. Uh, David sets up Jerusalem as the capital. He brings the ark into the city, and he wants to build a house for the Lord. But because of David's sin um, and his earlier failure, God tells him, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. But then he also tells him about the, the son who would come, his son who would reign forever. You looked at that in your, a little bit closer in your homework. Like God promised Eve and Abraham before him, he promised David an offspring. And his would be an offspring that would rule forever on his throne. So Solomon is born, and he would go on to build the temple and lead Israel into this fantastic time of peace and prosperity. But then he marries foreign wives and begins to worship their gods, and he dies. So this can't be the promised offspring. That So the partial fulfillment of the promise was in Solomon, because Solomon came and reigned and brought prosperity. But... He also died, so he's not going to reign forever. So we're still waiting for something, right? Um, we actually just finished learning about the decline. This is where on your plot diagram, things were going, and then it goes, <laughs> falls right back down, right? We have all these things going really, really, really well, and then it's like, um, yeah, it all falls off. I mean, even Michael named his series The Decline of an Eternal Kingdom. It's, it was a sharp decline in the history of Israel. Things were not going well. Uh, the kingdom divides into the north and the south. We have Israel in the north, which is really confusing, and Judah in the south. Um, both kingdoms suffer from wicked kings, and even Josiah's attempts to reform are not enough to spare them from the consequences of their disobedience. God ejects them from the land by way of the conquering kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon. And at this point, it seems like all is lost, right? But don't forget, you look at your chart, we're only about halfway through the story. Not even halfway. There's a whole lot more to come. Um, there was a promise of a king who would reign forever. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that there was a promise of a king who would reign forever, especially in light of how things have happened in Israel up to this point? That's right. The king, that king would be divine. He is from God. So the, um, we come back to that chart that Adrian kind of helped us start filling in last week with the, the physical picture that pointed to a spiritual reality. So what does the, the physical picture of the king in this section of Scripture point us towards as a spiritual reality today? Yeah. 
It feels kind of like the easy answer, right? It's pointing us to Jesus. It's okay. Sometimes the answers are easy. (laughs) A perfect king. So what makes him perfect? In contrast to the other ones that we looked at. Obedience. Yes, obedience. He was perfectly obedient. I think that's a marvelous thing. Um, What are some of the other things that the king, this, this perfect king, looks like? What was Israel supposed to be looking for when the king arrived on the scene? A little bit louder. A Messiah. What does, what, but what do you mean by Messiah? What should they have been looking for in a Messiah? Restoring Israel to its former glory. Okay. Right, and that's what they were looking for, right? They were looking for a conqueror, a political king to come back in and restore things back to the way it used to be. But remember, this was a physical picture pointing us to a spiritual reality. So what should they have actually been looking for? The sacrificial lamb of God. God. Okay. Yeah. They might have been, but maybe if they had been paying attention a little bit closer to the story of David, they would have known that that's not what they should have been looking for because David was not the strongest. He was not the most beautiful. He was the, the what's the, the wording, the ruddy? He was ruddy-complexioned little kid out in the, I'm not even sure what ruddy-complexioned mean. I'm pretty sure it's, maybe it's acne. I don't know. Um <laughs> Were you going to say something, Janet? He had to be from David's line. That's a really good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the ways that he that showed that he was the Lord over something, right? He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was Lord over creation. He was Lord over somebody filling the rest of it for me because I'm blinking in the moment. Um, all those different ways that he was demonstrating that he was Lord over whatever they could throw at him to see if he could control. He could control. So um, the spiritual reality of the king is the reality today. It will be made visible and physical again in the new heavens and the new earth when we will be with him physically in his presence, face-to-face, and there are days that I want that more than others, and, and it almost makes me want to cry when I think about the fact that I'll actually get to see him. But we're not going to do that today. <laughs> so um, my question, and you know, we're going to end up wrapping this up really early, and that's okay because you'll have a lot of time um, to then talk about the thing that I, I'll try to put back up on the screen at the end. Um, the question to start with then is, are you a citizen of the kingdom? Are you a repentant believer in Christ as your king, a citizen of the kingdom? There are implications for that. There are implications when you consider that you are a citizen of a kingdom that has a king. I don't think we're familiar as Western civilization Americans with what life under the rule of a king looks like. We're very much used to having a say and and being able to get what we want by voting or um, protesting what we don't like, 
um, being able to change opinions by just having an open discourse. Um, the reality is that's not life under a king. The king has ultimate authority over everything. So the thing that I want you to talk about in your groups this morning is you consider that this picture, this pattern of a king in the Old Testament points to the king in the New Testament of Jesus, which is the king of your life today. What does it look like for Jesus to be the king in your life? When I get to the back of the room, I'll get it back up here. But here are the things I want you to think about, the areas of your life. What does it look like for Jesus to be the king in your finances? In your marriage? In your parenting? And, and, you know, we'll get a little personal. What does it look like for Jesus to be king over your sex life? Over your suffering? Over your free time, if you, maybe you don't think you have free time, but you have free time. Over what you watch, what you read, what you listen to, over who you spend time with. What are the implications of a king who has expectations and sovereign rule over every area of your life? How does that play out in those different areas of your life? It could, it could play out in, you know, not to start answering questions for you, so I'll just give you a couple of things. It plays out in, um, I didn't want to homeschool, but I homeschooled because it was the best way for me to be the mother I was called to be to my children. Not because it was the best education choice over all choices, but because for my children, the best way for me to be the mother of my children was to do what I didn't want to do. Um, for finances, it, it might look like choosing not to take vacations because your money goes elsewhere. It might look like driving an old beat-up car until it dies instead of trading it in for the, the newest, shiniest thing like my mom does. Um, it could look like uh, in your sex life, I'll just be completely transparent, choosing to move towards a husband who you are prickly with um, and you're just not really in the mood, but because you love him and you want to honor what God has given you in that relationship, you move past how your emotions are affecting you and you move toward him in an effort to display the love that you may not necessarily be feeling, but you know is good and right. Maybe that's what it looks like. I'm not going to answer any of the rest of them for you. And I don't think you should skip over the ones that I answered just because I already did, because it looks different in your life, because you're you, but not because your king is different than mine. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get your coffee, and then I'm going to try to get the, this list back up on the screen, and maybe we won't lose it. And then um, you guys will have the rest of the morning to talk about it and to pray together. Thank you for your patience and your grace with hiccups in the road this morning. And I love you guys, and I'm so glad you're here. So let me pray. Father, we pray that you would give us uh, the understanding and the hearts that desire to submit to your rule. We pray that you would give us insight, even this morning as we talk to each other as sisters, transparently about areas of our life where maybe we haven't submitted them to you. Pray that you would bring those to light and that we would confess them, that we would bring them under your headship, that we would love you better and serve you better because you are our king. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.